Recently, I heard that in Scotland, a voluntary survey was given to all of the police officers in Scotland uh, about their religious affiliations. And that might sound a little interesting to you, why they would want to do that. But what caught my attention was eight of the officers claimed that their religious affiliation was Jedi. Now, I laughed at that because I'm thinking Jedi is not a religion, right? Until you look a little further and you discover that that's not a joke at all. There are people all over the world who think that being a Jedi is a religious thing. It was reported that there's an increased number of people who participate in lightsaber trainings, meditation sessions to increase their Jedi skills. And I will admit, I'm a Star Wars fan, right? Any Star Wars people out there with me? Okay, I love Star Wars. I've seen all the movies. I've seen all of the, the spinoffs. I've seen even a cartoon or two. I know I'm admitting way too much right now, but I've, I've seen these, and I'm a fan of Star Wars. But there are some people who take Star Wars to the nth degree. Does anybody have that in their life? Do you know someone who takes it maybe just a little bit too far? Uh, David Oldberry, he was a postal deliverer in Southampton. Now, he's not weird because he carries the mail, Mike. It's just he's weird for another reason, right? But, oh, he, he has spent over 150,000 pounds in his Star Wars collection. Now, to put that in U.S. dollars, that's about $182,000 in U.S. currency that he has spent on his Star Wars collection. That is his toys, his posters, his action figures, and his magazines. He has collected almost 9,000 signatures from cast members. He's gotten autographs from this many people. And you might be sitting out there thinking there's not 9,000 people in Star Wars movies. Um, I don't know, maybe he's got several of them twice, but the story says he's got 9,000 signatures. He even got the autograph of Sir Alec Guinness, who was the original Obi-Wan Kenobi, and so that's a big deal, right? Here's a couple of his tattoos. Show those, yeah. Now, that's impressive artwork, uh, but uh, uh, that's just, that's not me. I would say this guy is, is a bit of a fan of, of Star Wars. Um, he might not be completely normal, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say he's single. Um, <laughs> amen, ladies? <laughs> okay, just checking. But in the book of Mark, we are reminded that if we want to grow in our intimacy with Jesus, it takes more than just proving some things um, uh, publicly uh, about Christianity. In other words, it takes more than just wearing a t-shirt. It takes more than just uh, a, a bumper sticker or a, a sticker on the window. Jesus, when he calls us to be followers, he calls his followers to be devoted followers of his, not admiring fans. And there's a big difference. And if you read Kyle Eidelman's book, Not a Fan, it's incredible. I suggest you do that. And while I'm not an ad, uh, uh, an ad, you know, while I am an admiring fan of Star Wars, I'm Star Wars. I'm surely not a devoted follower, right? While Star Wars does entertain me, I don't change the way that I live, the way that I think, the way that I dress, the things that I do based on a movie. I don't seek to learn more about the Force 
outside of the movies. I don't train or engage in lightsaber battles, at least not yet. Now, my grandsons, as they grow up and they want to do that, I'm going to guess I'm all in, right? It's on. But I don't spend time discussing all the dynamics of Star Wars and or arguing over uh, conspiracy theories in the movie and all that sort of thing. I don't practice the, the Jedi skills. I know I'm putting all of you at ease right now by telling you this, right? But uh, I don't practice Jedi skills by controlling other people's thoughts, even though that would be pretty cool at times, and that would come in quite handy. I do enjoy all the sights and the sounds and the action that the movie provides, but there's nothing significant about this movie or these movies or these series of movies, nothing significant that causes me to change the way that I live my life. Now, the problem that I think that is in the church today is that there are people who are admiring fans of Jesus. There are many who applaud the carpenter from Nazareth, will even applaud what happened on the cross of Calvary. There are many who enjoy hearing about the miracles that Jesus performed and the inspiring stories from Scripture and maybe even coming to church on Sunday and hearing the occasional joke that I might share during a sermon. However... Nothing changes the way that they live their day-to-day lives. There are too many people who speak well of Jesus and the church, but neither he or his church have had a big enough impact on them to change the way that they live their lives. Jesus might entertain them. I don't know about you. I really enjoyed the worship set this morning. I loved all of the songs that we did, and we might enjoy the sights, we might enjoy the sounds, but if you come in here on a Sunday morning, and the things that we do, the things that we teach, and the worship that we have here on Sunday morning, if nothing changes, if you're just an admiring fan of what happens here on Sunday morning, and nothing changes outside of the walls, then you're a fan of Jesus, but you're not really a devoted follower. And Jesus says to us in Matthew, he said, you need to make disciples of all nations. See, Jesus never said, I want you to draw large crowds of people who are going to speak well of me. He said, I want you to make disciples. He doesn't want fans of the cross. He wants people who are all in, people who are completely devoted He wants people who see Christianity as more than a t-shirt or a bumper sticker. Jesus wants followers whose hearts are thrown basically completely in, who are willing to go across the line of what society says you should do, who have a passion to please him every single day of their lives. I've got to move from being an admirer of, of what he's done for me and what he's doing or what he can do. I've got to move out of that to one who is totally devoted to following Jesus regardless of what the cost might be and regardless of what the consequences might be. I've got to love him with all of my heart. Last week we talked about how much God loves us and there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Nothing will uh, will ever be able to separate us from from God and and his love. Well, this week we need to understand uh, something about our love for God in return, if he loves us that much, then we've got to put uh, a little bit of love in the game as well. And we're going to look at M- Mark chapter 12 today, beginning with verse 28. Here's what 
Here's what the gospel writer says about how we should love God. One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate, and he realized that Jesus had answered well. And so he asked this question, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Verse 32, the teacher of religious law replied, well said, teacher, you've spoken the truth by saying that there's only one God and no other, and I know it's important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all of the burnt offerings and sacrifices required by the law. Realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any questions. Wouldn't you have liked to have been there when that conversation was happening, when all of that was going on, all these questions being fired at Jesus, Jesus is answering these questions like no one had ever answered before. And then this one guy speaks up and he asks this particular question, what's the most important one? And Jesus just hushed the entire room. No one dared ask another question when he said this, we must love God with all our heart. We throw that word heart around pretty loosely, I think, sometimes. We throw the word love around. We throw the word heart around, right? I recently discovered some observations that someone made about how culture uses the word heart. For example, a person that is without compassion is described as heartless, and we urge them to have a heart, right? The truly evil person is black-hearted, while godly saints have hearts of gold. Courageous soldiers are brave-hearted. Jilted lovers are broken-hearted. If we need to speak intimately with someone, we have a heart-to-heart talk. But when we lose our passion for life, when a deadness sets in, which we can't seem to, con- uh, to shake, we confess, my heart's just not in it. And our deepest hurts, we call those heartaches. But when, someone has, uh, when we love someone as deeply as we can, we're said to love them with all all of our heart. And so what we do is this. This is what I think we do in the church. We do our duty and we presume that God loves us, but the idea of emotionally loving him is something that I think is becoming more and more foreign in the life of the believer. Almost like God is this abstract idea that, yeah, you know, I love him because, you know, that's, I call myself a Christian, that's what I'm supposed to do, but are we in love with him? Listen to how King David described his love for God in Psalm 42, 1. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? When was the last time you had this attitude where you feel like you you needed God so badly and you wanted to be in his presence so badly that you longed for it? Psalm 84, verse 2, I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord with my whole being, body, and soul. I will shout joyfully to the living God. I will lift my hands to you in prayer. I thirst for you as parched land thirsts for rain. This is, this is the kind of love that is an all-consuming passion. It's this desire for God. It's the way that God loves us. 
This is what King David is saying. I want you to love God in the same way. A love that, that goes so deep that it hurts. That, that, if, that if you didn't have that love, if, if, if somehow you thought that, that you couldn't have that love, it would be absolutely painful to you. It's the kind of love that when you see people mocking God and going against God, it, it breaks your heart just like if someone was making fun of your wife or making fun of your kid. You know how we all get bent out of shape when someone attacks a family member. I had to, <laughs> I wasn't planning on telling this, but as I was officiating a basketball game the other night, and, and as, as I made a call that I know it's hard to believe, but someone in the stands didn't appreciate the call. And, and, and it was the mom of a player, and the mom hollers at me, which I addressed. I said, eh, calm down, mom. But when, uh, when I turned around, the mom's daughter, who, is, who I called the play against, she yelled at me because she saw mom yelling at me. Mom started yelling because she thought I was being hard on her little baby. And so I teed up the daughter. And uh, they, the other team got two shots and the ball out of bounds because they were just, wah, 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 and they wouldn't stop, right? And, and because mom could not see past the fact that her daughter was not being treated right, she didn't think. She didn't realize that her daughter had committed a uh, turnover, right? We get bent out of shape over little stuff like that. But then we see the junk that's on TV. And not only do we not say much or care much, we watch it. In each of these scriptures we just, we just read, the writer's crying out to God because he seems to understand or he seems to remember what God has done for him in the past. And because God has done so much for him in the past, he wants to love him with all of his heart. And, and, and David, King David, he's just, he's just thinking about all that God has done and he spends time doing this and he's writing down all of these things about his goodness and he's spending deliberate time thanking God for his mighty works Give thanks. You might be sitting out there and you're saying, you know what, I don't really have, I don't don't have the kind of passion that you're talking about, and I know that I don't. How do I get it, Ron? When was the last time you just sit down and you started giving thanks, you started writing down, and then you read that to God like it's a love letter to God? When was the last time you did that? That's basically what David was doing. He's remembering all of the things that God had brought him through. And when we, do th- when we start to do this, I think when we understand how much God has brought us through, what he's done for us, this is when some of our anxieties are going to start to melt away because we know that God did this for us in the past. Why would I doubt him in the future? You're going to experience a peace in your life like you've not known. That the Bible says will surpass all understanding. It almost defies explanation. Loving God with all of our hearts. It's a love for God that is saturated with thanksgiving. In our prayers, we need to learn to deliberately set aside time to come into God's presence. Not just with a laundry list of things we'd like to see God do for us. 
We're good about that. And it's not wrong to ask God for things in prayer, right? That's not wrong at all. In fact, he tells us to come for him. But most of our prayer time consists of us asking God to give me this or give me that or heal this person or heal that person or God do this for me or nudge this into place. Help me with this job. Help me with this career decision. And God says, do those things. Those are all good. We need to do them. But that's not all. That's not all that our life, our prayer life should consist of. Coming into the presence of God with a grateful heart, thanking Him, praising Him, honoring Him for what He's done for us. That's what it means to love God with all of our hearts. And next we're told that we must love God with all of our soul. This is the idea of total commitment. When a person is in love with God with all of their heart, then they're going to become, they're going to become consumed with the idea of committing their time and their talents and their treasures to God. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart, and he reflected that in loving God with all of his soul. He's God, here I am, every bit of me, not just my heart, every part of me. 2 Samuel 24, we're we're told of an Israelite uh, who offered David um, the wood and the sacrifices necessary Uh, for a specific sacrifice that God asked of David. And there was a person that was going to just give it to David. And David said this, I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. Now, it was estimated, and I've read a couple different commentaries on this, it was estimated that the amount of money that David paid for these sacrifices was probably somewhere in the neighborhood of three to four million dollars in today's um, economy. David loved God so much that he was committed to giving something to God that actually cost him something. Martin Luther once said, a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. And so loving God with all of my soul, it's a love that leads me to give of myself because I love him. Not out of duty, not out of obligation, but because I love him so much, I can't help but give to him. How many of you like to give to people that you love? Your spouse? I know it's hard to believe, but we barely ever leave Walmart or Target without a t-shirt or pajamas or a toy or something for our grandkids. Anybody with me on that? We do that. Our our kids never got that. But our grandkids, they, you know, and, and, and because we love, not that we love our grandkids more than our Regular kids, but, but you know, as, as someone once said, if I'd known they were going to be that much fun, I'd have had them first. Can I get an amen? But anyway, um, it, when we love somebody so much with this overwhelming love, we give. When we become so in love with God, when we become so consumed by God, we can't help but dedicate our resources to pleasing Him. Does that make sense? Jesus said, In our text also that we must love God with all of our strength. When I love with all of my heart, that's my emotions. That moves me to love God with all of my soul. That's an an emotional, uh, uh, you know, I'm in love with God. I just don't love the idea of God. I'm in love with God. And if I love God with all my heart and my soul, then that's going to lead me to love him with all of my strength. And to love God with all of my strength means that whatever I do, I do it all for Jesus. Whatever it is, I do it all for him. 
Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. He said, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And he wrote to the church at Colossae. He said this in Colossians 3, 17. Whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. This is the kind of love that should affect how we worship on Sunday morning and how we live for him Monday through Saturday. When you love the Lord your God with all of your strength, you do everything within your life to please him. That becomes your driving passion. And it's whether anybody sees you doing it or not. You still do it. You do it totally for God. You do it for God as an employee, as an employer, as a husband, a wife, a relative, a friend, even to a stranger. It doesn't matter what your role in life is. You should do all that you do for the glory of God in Christ Jesus. And that kind of loving God, that type of love, requires all your strength. Because there's days when you don't feel like it. Can I get an amen to that? Right? There's there's days when you don't feel like loving people like that. There's days when you don't feel like loving the person in Walmart. You don't feel like loving the person that's behind you honking, telling you to turn right on red when you don't want to turn right on red. Even your family members. Maybe having a bad day with. God says, no matter whether you feel like it or not, you love them. You treat them the same. I love the movie, Facing the Giants. It's based on a true story. Uh, Shortly after the main character, the coach, and his wife decided to believe in Christ, the coach uh, found that he was in danger of being fired from his job. And in in addition to this, he also discovered that it was his fault. He and his wife couldn't have kids. And so he spends an entire night on his knees and in the Word of God, and he's pleading with God. And later he comes... uh, uh, comes out and asks his wife to join him, and he asked her this question. He said, will you still love God even if he doesn't give us children? And what he was asking was this. Does our love for God override our present circumstances and our personal agenda and our felt needs? And the answer for the coach in the movie was yes. And this became a turning point for them in their lives. And as the movie explained, the coach determined to love God with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind, and all of his strength. And as a coach, he decided that his team, as they played football, they were going to play for no other reason than to glorify God. Everything that they did, they were going to glorify God through everything that they did. Whether they won or lost, they praised God when they won. They praised God if they lost. And the coach put all of his strength into loving God in this way, no matter what the outcome might be. And ultimately, it had a wonderful ending as the, as the uh, football team won their championship and the coach's wife gave birth to a child. But even if it had ended in a different way, even if God had chosen not to be kind to them in this way, they still had determined that whatever the outcome was, they were going to love God with all of their strength. 
Now, if you've been sitting out there saying, uh, what about your mind, Ron? You skipped over one. I'm following this along and you skipped mine. I didn't skip it. I moved it to the end for a reason, and here's why. We must love God with all of our mind. That's the fourth thing. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And in the story of Matthew, Luke, and here in in Mark chapter 12, Jesus was approached by a teacher of the law, right? And according to Matthew, the young man had been hanging around with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he had come up to Jesus with the express purpose of testing Jesus, right? So he'd been around all of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he'd seen how they were treating him and and, uh, how uh, basically they wanted to, to trip him up. And so he's like, I'm going to get in on on the action. And so he puts Jesus on the spot. See, the Pharisees and Sadducees originally, um, they weren't comfortable with Jesus. They didn't really like him all that much. And eventually we know that they would plot to kill him. But right now, all they're doing, they're just trying to expose him as a fraud. They're trying to trap him, right? And so the focus of this young man's question was very similar to what the Pharisees and the Sadducees were doing. I'm trying to expose you, Jesus, for being a fraud. He wants to trip him up. And this is what he says. He says, teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Now, there's 613 laws in the Old Testament, and experts in God's law would spend a lot of their time arguing over which was the greatest commandment. This was something that they would do, and so this young, smart-alecky kid, I kind of imagine him coming up to him, and he's trying to uh, trip Jesus up, and he wants to hear Jesus' answer on this. Right? Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus responds by taking two commands that these experts probably would have regarded as somewhat obscure in the Old Testament. They weren't even in uh, the same book of the law. He, he first quotes Leviticus 19.18. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength. Uh, that was from Deuter- Deuteronomy 6, actually. And then Uh, Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor as yourself, right? So he takes two different laws that these guys would have known, but he would have known that they were obscure, probably not the one that anybody was saying these are the most important. But Jesus explains that all the other laws, right, of the 613, everything, all those other 611 hinge on these two. Right? And so Jesus' response is so obvious, you can almost see this man going, wow, I, I never thought of that before. And he cannot contain his admiration for something that he had never even, never even thought about. He said, well said. You know, uh, what do you say? He, he said, these are more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. So this young man agrees with Jesus that these two are pretty important. And then Jesus says something that I don't know if you've ever caught this before, and it really stuck out to me uh, uh, as I was reading through this. Verse 34. Here's what happens. Realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him a question. Young man, you're not far from the kingdom of God. You're getting there. You're close. You know all of this stuff about God, 
but you're not quite there. But you're not far from it. Right now, this guy, this, this young man, he was just wrapped up in legalistic argument, right? That's what he did for fun. That's what they were all doing, trying to trap Jesus. That's what passed for worship in that day. That's what passed in the circles they ran in, right? But up to this point in his life, he did not understand that God was a God of love. That God loved them so much that while they were in their sin, he sent his one and only son to die on a cross for them. And Jesus points that out. And this guy, you know, he starts to see that God is a God of love. And Jesus says, you're not, you're almost there. He pointed out to this man that God isn't impressed with people who just want to know about God's word. He's not impressed with people who just fill a space on Sunday morning or in those days in the synagogue. But what really touches the heart of God and what really impresses God is people who love him passionately. People who are willing to change their lives for him. He wants us to love him for who he is, not just what he can do for us. You see, when I love God with all of my mind, that means I've made a choice. I've made that choice, a decision that I want God. I want God more than anything else in this life. In Deuteronomy 30, 19 and 20, Moses said it this way. Today, and he's talking to the Israelites, he said, today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and cursing. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying Him, and committing yourself firmly to Him. And then this is the kicker. Listen how he, how he wraps this up. This is the key to your life. What's the key to your life? Loving God, obeying Him, committing yourself to Him. Everything else pales in comparison. Make a choice who you're going to love or what you're going to love. Is it going to be God? Or is it going to be the world? Because I think this single choice, basically your, your, your eternity hangs in the balance of this choice. Who are you going to love? I'm going to close with a story as the worship team comes uh, about, it's a true story. Again, read it on the internet, so I know it's true. Um, but it powerfully illustrates the truth. And, and again, when you hear this, you're going to think, nah, you got that from a Hallmark movie. Hang with me. World War II, a soldier, just before he shipped off to Europe, as the story goes, found a used book in a USO store. In the margins, a woman had written some observations that he found insightful and very caring. And touched by this unknown person's insights, the soldier made some inquiries about where this book came from, who donated it, so on and so forth, what the address was. And he found that out, and then he wrote to her, and he told her that he had found what she had written in this book and how impressed he was with her thoughts. 
and that he was soon to go off to the war and he had nobody back home that he could write to and communicate with. And, it, and he said, would you write to me? If I write to you, will you write to me? And she said that she would. And throughout the war, this soldier and this woman exchanged constant letters. And the soldier found out through these letters that he was falling in love with her. And he wrote that in a letter back to her. And she responded that she was feeling the same way for him. And he sent her a picture. And she wrote back and said that if he truly loved her, then... He wouldn't need a picture of her. Wouldn't be necessary. Well, at last the war was over and he returns home and he had sent notification in advance that he was coming home. He was going to be in New York. I know you don't live far from there. Would you meet me at the docks? And he would bring the book with him and she could wear a red rose lapel pin to help him identify her. That's how they would know who each one of them were. And she agreed. And when his ship docked, he walked down the gangplank, searched the crowd for the woman that he had been waiting to meet for so long. Suddenly, a stunningly beautiful blonde woman dressed in a crisp green suit, eyes twinkling as she looked at him, walked up to him. And in the wonder of that moment, he neglected to see that she was not wearing a rose on her lapel. She spoke and said, hi, soldier, and she winked at him and walked on. For a moment, he was tempted to follow her and asked her name, but just then he noticed a woman standing alone a little bit of a distance away wearing a red rose on the lapel of her drab, brown, wrinkled-up suit. The woman was probably in her 40s. She's kind of plain. Even the suit was well-worn. And this is not how he pictured her at all. And he struggled for a moment with his dilemma. But then he realized that this was the person that he'd been riding with all of this time that had given so much of her heart to him and had given him a lot of strength through her letters through this most difficult time. And so he's, he came to the conclusion that maybe I won't feel romantic love for her, but at the very least I'm going to ask her out to eat and explain how much those letters meant to me. And so he straightened himself up and he walked over to the woman and he took her hand and he introduced himself and asked if she would do him the honor of eating with him. And with a startled look, the woman looked him straight in the eye and said, look, mister, I'm not sure what's going on here, but that blonde woman that just passed you a moment ago gave me this rose, said, put it on my lapel, and if a soldier comes up and asks you to eat with him, you go do it. I don't know what is going on, but she said if a soldier does that, she'll be in the restaurant across the street waiting on him. You see, he didn't get distracted by the beauty of this woman, and he was doing what he was supposed to do, right? And I think what happens sometimes is we fall in love with the world, we get distracted by the beauty of the things that we think the world will offer us. And God is saying, listen, my love letter is, is in the Word. I've shown you how much I love you. Don't get distracted. Trust me, if you make the right decision, you're going to experience beauty beyond anything that you can imagine down here. 
And so maybe you're sitting out there today. I'm going to ask you to stand. Maybe you're sitting out there today and, and you are, uh, I don't know, maybe you're struggling with some things. Maybe you're doubting yourself. Maybe you don't feel that you're loved by God. You are. Trust me, you're loved by God. But do you love him passionately? I'm going to give you some time as we sing this song. We're going to pray, and uh, we're going to offer a song of decision. And if you're here today and you want to express your love for him in some way, maybe it's a first-time decision, maybe it's a decision to uh, become a part of our church family, maybe it's just a decision that, that you want to publicly say, listen, uh, God, I love you, and I just want everybody to know it. Um, would you just be obedient to whatever the Holy Spirit is asking of you today as we pray and as we sing this song?